Good afternoon. I don't have the cool clay American accent. So you're going to have to bear with me. I have this hybrid Scouse-Irish, whatever it may be. So you're going to have to work with me on that one, okay? Did Clay rock the joint or what? Come on, let's give that man a round of applause. I kind of feel like he made it a little bit easier for me. He's kind of created the wave and I'm just going to jump on it and just enjoy that thing, you know what I mean? So he's got, everybody's warmed up, including myself. Thanks to Clay, so bless you, bro. Amazing job. So, I think that was a little satellite delay over there. So I'm super excited to be with you guys. I'm an evangelist. I don't apologize for it. I'm what I call a, a reaping evangelist. There's a difference between sowing and reaping, which I'm going to look at, but I believe I'm a reaping evangelist, and I get, I'm really happy about being a reaping evangelist, so you can call me the Grin Reaper, if you would like. Yeah, I got that one out of the 101 dad bucket jokes. I hope you like that one. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you guys about the difference between sowing and reaping. Has anyone ever heard of the Barnet Institute? So... The Barnet Institute takes statistics from all over the world, put them together, compile them, and then they tell us what we're thinking as the wider church. And this is what the Barnet Institute recently said. They said, 96% of believers are not leading anybody to the Lord. 96% of believers are not leading anyone to the Lord. What does that mean? That means that we have a bit of a, an epidemic in the church. It means that we have the majority of the church seasoned sowers. We have a culture of sowing where we don't have many reapers. We have 4% reapers, 4% people having all the fun. And that's unhealthy because it means the scales are imbalanced and we know that we are called to sow and then reap. You don't know of any farmers who go and sow and then say, man, I hope, you know, maybe in 10 years, maybe we might see some crop, you know what I mean? Something might happen. When you sow, you reap. But we have a, we have a problem in, our, in the church today and it is that we have no reapers. We have a very limited amount of 4% reapers. And what the 96 like to do to the four is go up to them and say, hey, here's the microphone. Tell me your stories. Tell me what God has done in your life. Write me a book. Here's a stage. What the 96 wanna do is hear from the four because they have all the cool stories. But what I believe is that the church are meant to be, uh, not 96% reaper, but if we're gonna have a move of God we've never seen, we need to get the church into the reaping fields, into the harvest fields. That is what our desire and our objective is. So how do we do that? How do we make that happen? Well, I believe that we've raised a bar that is unrealistic. There's a bar that we have said, if you move this way and this way alone, then you get to play. But I believe that the gospel is that powerful and that powerful that all you need is the gospel. Now, I'm kind of coming back to basics right now. I'm going to be bringing some basics. I'm a gospel guy. I love the gospel, and I feel that we have forgotten the simplicity and the power of the gospel. But if we could come back and bring this bar down, you see, what I believe we've done is this. I believe we set a bar in the uh, charismatic streams that, that many of us move in, and we've set this bar, and it says this. The only way forward is prophetic healing. That's it. Now, what happens is this. You've got 96% of believers who sit on the sidelines, golf clapping the 4% who are doing their thing. But they don't get involved because they say, hey, I'm not like you. I don't have the cool accent. I don't wear the cool sneaker. I'm not, I don't have that kind of energetic, kind of enigmatic personality. Man, it's cool for you. I'm going to applaud you, but I'm just not that guy or that girl, I'm, I, that's not really my thing. So what I'll do is I'll stand here and I'll applaud you from the sidelines. But what I believe we're meant to do is this, I believe that we're meant to lower this bar and we're meant to say this, hey, don't you worry about the prophetic healing stuff, don't you worry, that stuff will come. 
Let me tell you this. All you need is Romans 1, verse 16. The power of the gospel. It's enough to change. The gospel changed my life. If, you were, if, you could, if you're concerned, if you're like, man, you've been smoking too much herb, or if you're kind of looking at me thinking, where's this guy? What kind of air do they have where he comes from an island? Let me tell you this. If you've forgotten how powerful the gospel is, go out right now, go to the bathroom, look in the mirror, and you'll remember, okay? The gospel, the same gospel that's changing lives today is the one that changed your life. But what somehow along the way, what we've done is we've kind of retreated into the shadows, we've hidden to the shadows, and we've thought, man, if we, only by praying for them will it work. So uh, praying for the sick, will it work? And you're going to hear my heart on this. I love praying for the sick, but we need to bring a balance, okay? So what I believe we need to do is this, lower the bar, and we say to the 96%, hey, guess what? You've never prayed for the sick, or you have, and they didn't get healed. That's okay, don't worry about it. You've never heard the God, you've never heard uh, a word of knowledge. You've never heard the Lord speak to you uh, a word of knowledge. That's okay, you've never moved in the prophetic. Don't worry about it, man. Here's the gospel. Leave the sowing fields, come over here, and begin to reap. And you see, because when you go, then you're gonna grow. And the thing is with the Holy Spirit is that he's the best healer, and he's the best prophet. Would you all agree? I mean, I've met some, some people who move in this stuff powerfully, but none as good as the Holy Spirit. So I believe he is the best prophet and the best healer. So surely, if we partner with him, we're gonna get better and we're gonna become more like him. You know, when I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, you know, I, I rubbed off on her, she rubbed off on me the more time we spent together, because that's what happens when you spend time with somebody, you become like them. But for many, 96%, man, we're not even spending time with the Holy Spirit in this area because we don't really know him in this area because we're not leaving the sowing fields. And for majority, they're not even sowing. So how do we get to know him? Well, for starters, you can know the Holy Spirit in your prayer closet. You can know him in your quiet time, but it's a completely different thing to know him in the harvest fields. Totally different, I promise you. I spent three years stood on a street in Northern Ireland. My full-time job was stood on a cold, wet, rainy street. Rain or shine, but there was no shine because it's Northern Ireland. <laughs> so I just stood there all the time, five days a week, just stopping people. Man, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And as I began to pray, as I began to pray for them, as I began to pray for the sick, and I'm going to tell you why I pray for the sick. This is why. Because I'd never seen it been done any other way. And I'm just following what's gone before me. I didn't know the power of the gospel. So what I did, I thought, man, I'm just going to pray for them to get healed. And then that gives me equity to share the gospel. This is what I thought, okay? So what I did, I prayed for everybody to get sick, uh, to get healed. To get sick. <laughs> that would have been weird. I'm Irish. We're a little bit backwards, you know what I mean? So we pray for people to get healed. Um, and sometimes, you know, people got healed. Sometimes they didn't, whatever. But then I realized this, man. As I begin to step in to share the gospel, something happened. I'm like, sometimes people don't have time. They're like, man, listen, I, I, I've got to head on right now, yeah? Thank, like, I feel good and, you know, I'm healed or whatever. But, man, I, I've got to scoot. I've got to get out of here. Or, or sometimes, you know, it didn't just work out that way. And, and I began to think, hang on, if we're... If we're just waiting to, to, pray, to share the gospel with the sick people, well, what about those who aren't sick? Does that mean they don't get to hear the good news? If we're going around praying for sick people alone, okay, there's a sick person, you're my guy. And if we're just doing it that way, then people who aren't sick, they don't get to hear the good news. Is that what we're saying? So surely there's something not quite right there, yeah? So I believe that everyone needs to hear the good news. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. We need to release this gospel to everybody. So what I began to do was step out. And as I would pray for them, something crazy happened. I put my trust in the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And as I did that, I saw a power 
that I didn't know existed. It was Romans 1.16 power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Just the mere mention of the gospel, just those words, uh, Christ died, he rose again on the third day, you know, like that kind of, he died for your sin, that simplistic gospel message. As I begin to share it, I saw grown men crying in the street. It was crazy. What changed it? I'm gonna tell you what, 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 did, what made the difference. It was his presence. You see, often we can pray for people to be healed and what we're trying to do is wow them with a miracle. But the Holy Spirit's here and he's trying to woo them with the gospel. It's important that we get the right balance. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Let's leave this place and let's go over here and let's begin to move in all of these things. Let's pray for the sick. Let's share the gospel. Let's give words of knowledge, all this kind of stuff. That's what we're really passionate about. But I don't wanna, I don't wanna have an unrealistic bar because if this worked, and I mean this, uh, and I mean it with reverence, but if this worked, then why is most of the church sat on the sidelines doing nothing? Really, if this was like, if this was, man, we've nailed it. This is how you do it. You walk up to somebody, you get a word and you pray for healing. If that was it, then why are they all on the sidelines not doing it? Because I believe that what we need to do is come back to the basics. We need to bring the gospel back into uh, evangelism. We need to bring it right back to the center. And that's what I saw on the streets of Northern Ireland. And that's what I've been living the past few years. I didn't know what I was doing, but as I became dependent upon two things, the Holy Spirit and the gospel, I put my whole trust in those two things. And as I did it, a power that I'd never known was displayed. Now I've led many people to the Lord. I've discipled many people. And I'm gonna tell you this, I can't think of one that came to Jesus that I discipled through a miracle. Now this is crazy, and it's gonna be, you're gonna be like a little bit, oh, what's this guy talking about? But bear with me, give me patience, indulge me. I didn't see it, do you know what I saw the change through? I saw it through the gospel. If we could really realize the power that is at our display, that the power that, is, that we are wielding with the gospel, man, it would change your life. Do you know why? Because what it would mean is this. Somebody comes to Jesus. I've got a guy, soccer hooligan. He was the head of a gang of 500 men that I led to the Lord uh, in a soccer gang, led a gang, 500 men, crazy guy. He was part of the National Front, EDL, English Defense League. He was a racist, a fascist. If he saw someone of a different ethnicity, he would run up to them and punch them or spit at them. This guy was crazy. Have you ever seen American History X? I know you wouldn't because you're all too holy. But, but if you have... Then you, this is the kind of guy he was, and he came to Jesus. Now, now he kind of he can't read and write properly. He left school. He burnt down the uh, part of the school. They kicked him out. He, he had no education. So he comes to Jesus, and then four days later, he comes on the street. And says, "Scott, teach me to do what you do." Now, what am I going to do? Am I going to take him on a on a twelve week intensive for healing and the prophetic? No. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to put the gospel in his hand, and I'm going to say, "Hey, man, just go over there and just speak to that person." About, about Jesus, okay, here it is. There's nine points the Holy Spirit birthed on the streets of Ireland. He gave me these nine points, told me what to say. It takes two minutes. You go and say it and watch. Now, he began to do it. He began to share the gospel. People began to get saved. Do you know his number one target? People who weren't white. You see, the people that he hated, he suddenly had a love for them. And he said, man, my passion now in life is to lead Muslims to Jesus. And I've seen him. I saw him in Birmingham. I took him on a trip with me. He led a, a, a guy called Muhammad in Birmingham to Jesus on the streets. And the guy was like, man, I can't believe this, man. You're like, you were in the EDL. This is crazy, man. I kind of feel it. And he gave his life to Jesus. Now, what Neil did is this. Neil used to come to me because I'm moving the, the prophetic uh, extremely high. Uh, I, I stood on the street in Ireland and after about six months, I went from three, two, three percent words of knowledge to 95%. Now, why did that happen? 
Was it because I was drinking some good tea or something? No, I'm gonna tell you why it was. Because I spent hours and hours and hours and hours a day with my partner in the fields of life, in the harvest fields. Again, if you leave your prayer closet and get to know him in the harvest fields, it will blow your mind. Now, what Neil did is this. As Neil, as he went, he began to grow. You see, he said, Scott, how do you do like that stuff? How do you do that stuff where you get like about their lives and how, how do you know things about their lives? And I'm like, well, the Holy Spirit will give you this gift that it just will grow in you. So he began to try it and he kept uh, getting it wrong and he was frustrated. He was like, man, I can't do it. I want to do it like you do it. And I'm like, just keep going. Just keep getting to know your partner and it's going to happen. And then he began to get it, just began to nail it. And do you know what, how it happened? Because he spent time with the Holy Spirit, trusting him in the harvest fields. You see, he didn't need to stay on the sidelines watching me do it until he kind of felt he was good enough. He could go and then he could do it. I believe the gospel is like a GPS. And once you learn how it works, it can take you to your point of destination. What is your point of destination? I believe it's salvation. Now for many, that's changed. For many, they don't really see their point of destination as salvation. They're like, man, well, if I can get, if somebody gets healed and sweet, you know what I mean? That's a good day. I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna feel happy. For me, I believe when I read the scriptures, I believe the point of the gospel, the, the point of destination should be salvation. That's just what I believe. I'm gonna tell you guys a story. I was in California uh, about a, a year and a half ago and I was doing some training actually with the Vineyard Church out there and Brian Head Welsh, you guys know Corn? the band corn. So this will give me a bit of kudos with you for you heavy metal lovers out there. As you can tell, I'm really a heavy metal kind of guy because this is how they dress. So uh, I'm, I'm training all these guys in California and Brian, who, who is a friend of mine, he came to my training. I was a little intimidated because he came sitting there, hood up, sunglasses, looking like a true rock star. Uh, and everybody else was kind of like middle-aged, you know, in like suburban California. And uh, anyway, I'm there and, he, and we, I train everybody up, about 30 people. And I say, okay, we're going to hit the streets. We're going to go into California. We're going to rip it up for Jesus. We're going to catch some apples, okay? So we're on the way there and Brian's with me and he's talking to me. He's like, Scott, look. He says, I'm from California. He says, so I just want to give you a little heads up, okay, before we kind of carry on. He's like, everyone in California thinks they're like super cool. So it might be a little different here, is what he's telling me. Now, I know two things to be true. I know this, I know one, sin is universal, okay, would you agree? Sin is universal. I was in South Africa a few months ago, got to South Africa, went for breakfast. As Soon as I got to the cafe and started eating my breakfast, I began chatting with the guy who worked there. You know what I realized? Man, they have sinners in South Africa too. It was crazy, I'd only been there five minutes. And then I found out something else to be true. I was in Australia. Two months before, one month before that, and I'm in Australia. Good day, if you're from Australia. Sport, I know there is a lady from Australia. I was chatting with her, she says, hey, how you doing? And I'm in Australia. I'd only been there 10 minutes. I go to the cafe because I like drinking tea, and it wakes me up. I'm drinking tea, and I begin to share the gospel, and I realize something else. The Holy Spirit had beat me, so he got the plane before and beat me to Australia. The Holy Spirit was in Australia too. So two things I know to be true. One is this, sin is universal. And so is the Holy Spirit. And whenever you get the Holy Spirit next to sin, fireworks go off. It's like explosive because he's the perfect antidote to sin. So what I began to realize is wherever you get him and sin together, man, things are gonna like stir. So I'm like, don't worry, it's gonna be cool. It's, I know it's super cool California, but it's the gospel, come on, we'll be sweet. So we carry on, we're sharing, the, we're going around, we're, me and Brian, we walk into the mall, the shopping mall. At the back, we see these uh, young 
like mid-twenties, that's young for me, I'm 43, uh, mid-twenty guys, and they're like at the back, and they're kind of like, you know, like flailing their arms around and jumping up and down, all this kind of stuff. And we're like, what's going on? And then they see us, and they're like waving like this. They're like, come over. So me and Brian head over, and these guys are like pumped up. Man, you won't believe what just happened, man. That was off the hook. That was off the chain. That was crazy. We're like, tell us, tell us what. They said, you see that kid walking off there? You see that guy walking away? Man, he is a gangbanger, as they call him in America. I know we don't use that term, gang member, because uh, we're very prim and proper. He's a gang member, and he got shot in the leg six days previous, and we just prayed for his leg, and he just got healed. Come on, Jesus. Come on, amen, that deserves a round of applause. So we were like, whoa, that's crazy, praise God, come on. I looked the guy in the eye, the one doing all the talking, I looked him in the eye, I said this, did you share the gospel, did you read the card? And we have a card which we're gonna teach you tomorrow, nine points way to, uh, way to share the gospel. Did you read the card, did you share the gospel? I looked him in the eye. He looks at me blank and says this, no, I just pray for healing. I said, go back and get him and bring him back. So he goes, he brings this kid back. Now, this, this kid was an 18-year-old Hispanic kid, shot in the leg in gangland, gangland activity six days previous with a walking stick, which he now didn't need because he'd been healed. I give our card to Brian Headwise from Corner. I said, Brian, just read that, man. So we step forward with the card, okay? Just like this. Step forward with this card with nine points on the back, and he just read it. Never read it before, never done this before, anything like this. Reads the card. You know what happens? I'm going to tell you what happens. The gospel happens. You see, as he's reading it, this 18-year-old lad starts filling with tears. And he's crying so uncontrollably that I put my arms around him and I'm stood there in super cool California in a shopping mall with an 18-year-old gangbanger crying on my shoulder. Why? Because that's the power of the gospel unto salvation. Now, what they were about to do is this. They were about to give our Hispanic gang member friend a more comfortable journey to hell. That's it. That was all that was gonna happen. You see, Jesus said there's two roads in life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction and there's a narrow path that leads to life and only few find it. So he was on his wide road to destruction and we just stopped him off, prayed for, a, prayed for his leg, his leg got healed, have a nice life, have a nice journey to hell. That's really all we were doing. Now, if that offends some of you, read your Bible. Because that is the truth, okay? That is not really acceptable. That is not what Christianity is. That is not why Jesus died on the cross. So a bunch of people could walk to hell in a, in a lot better physical states than they were before. I don't believe that's what we're doing this thing for. So we need to make sure that we even this thing out, man. The greatest miracle is salvation. So why are we not sharing it? Because I believe for many, we don't know how. If we can figure a way, if we can work out how we get to our point of salvation, our, our destination point, if we can work it out, because many of us, we don't know. And the truth of it is, is that we're okay praying for the sick because we've got a lot of experience with that. So we're like, man, I, I can do that. You know, I, 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 can, I think if I pray for this guy, there's a good chance he's gonna get healed. And you feel quite confident. But when it comes to the gospel, you're not so confident. So what you do is you relinquish a little and you kind of just don't really step out. And the truth is, people's lives aren't gonna get changed, really. I was on a plane and going to Athens, Georgia just last month and I'm sat there and I'm just, on my I'm just working on my laptop, doing a bit of work and, and this lady leans over, I'm sat there next to two people, she leans over her seat, she looks me in the eye, dead in the eye, ignores the other two, she says this, I'm in so much pain right now, 
I'm in so much pain. My back is so painful. I can't sit down. I'm in so much pain. I'm like, who is this lady? (laughs) Like literally, I was just working away and she leans over and she says that to me. Now, what do you do in that situation? I'm really sorry to hear that. Could I get you a, a coffee? You obviously pray for her, of course. But I'm going to tell you this bit. I forgot to tell you this bit before. Just before she stood up, this is what happened. I'm working on my laptop. I look up. I see her. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says this. She's ready for me. She's ready for me. Now, because I'm kind of like, I do this every day, you know. And because I know how the gospel works, because I'm so at ease with the gospel. Just like if you go to, if I say to you now, go and get me a Starbucks from, from not, in Nottingham City Centre. You'd be like, yeah, no sweat. I'll go and get you one. You probably wouldn't need to use your GPS, yeah? But for me, I'm not from here. So if I'm going to Starbucks, I'm going to GPS that sucker. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't know where I'm going. So GPS, what does it do? It tells you, take a left, take it. Now, when I'm following my GPS, I've got to concentrate because I've only got room enough for one voice. But once I know where I'm going, it's in my memory bank. I don't need to concentrate. I don't need to give it that much concentration because I know where I'm going. If you, can, if you can be like that with the gospel, if you can bring it, that, that kind of, a, it's a navigation to salvation. That's what the gospel is. If you can bring it in that way, if you can know where you're going, man, you can do it in your sleep. So I'm sat there and, and I'm like, the Lord said she's ready for me. So I'm just chilled. I'm like, when I've got a five hour flight, I'm not gonna run up and start like, you know, making it quick. I'm like, that's sweet. I'll, I'll speak to her when, I'm, when I get a window. Because I know that like I can do it without breaking a sweat. It's second nature to me sharing the gospel. So she leans over, she says this. I said, can I pray for you? She says, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I said, like, can I pray? The Bible says, lay hands on the sick, they'll be made, they'll be made whole. She's like, do you mean that stuff? Like I've seen it on the television where they pray for people and I'm like, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Can we do that? She's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we come around, we sit down here and I'm thinking, okay, let's go for her sick body, yeah? But this is what, this is what I say to her first. I say, look, there's something that's more important than your sick body. Okay? And I walk her through Jesus. I walk her through our nine steps of the gospel. I said, because this, I want to tackle your sick soul before I tackle your sick body. Because for me, that's more important. You see, not everybody has a sick body, but everybody's got a sick soul. It's called sin. It's killing everybody. It's a terminal illness. So I said, can I, can I first pray for your, your state of your soul to be right with Jesus? And then we'll pray for your body. Is that cool? She's like, yeah. So I pray for her. Holy Spirit touches her. She gives her heart to Jesus. Then we pray for her body. So you've got to hear me. I'm not against praying for the sick, man. I've seen crazy miracles, like crazy miracles. And I'm all for that. I'm all in. But for me, it's got to be in line with the gospel. It's got to be. The gospel is the vehicle. If I could put it this way, if you imagine it like a car, uh, healing is the, the gas pedal, prophetic is the lights, but the vehicles, the gospel, and without the vehicle, you ain't going to get to where you want to get to. So I pray for her for a healing and then uh, she sits back down and uh, as, as we're leaving the plane, I stand up and I say, hey, how you feeling? And I, I said it in front of everybody, you know that quiet moment when, when everybody's like, when this, the, the kind of lights come on and the seatbelt sign and everyone's like race, racing up to go nowhere, you know that moment when everyone's like jumps up to go nowhere. So they're like quick, quick, pushing past people to get out the seats to just find that they're just standing there doing nothing. That moment. So I stand up and it's really quiet and I'm like, uh, and there's people around me. So I say, hey, uh, how's your back? Now, let me just tell you this. The lady was in the military and she was blown up um, on duty. Her, her truck, her armored vehicle was blown up. She lost colleagues. She says, I'm classed as an invalid. Like medically, I'm classed as an invalid. I have five, op- five back operations. I'm due for number six. That's how severe this thing was. She was in agony. I turn around to her in front of everybody. I say, hey, how's the back? She looks at me. She says, I have no pain. 
Like, no pain at all. No pain at all. I said, praise God, that's wonderful, isn't it? I get a phone number. Do you know why? I'm married, not because any other reason. <laughs> I get a phone number because I'm thinking, man, I want to get it connected to a church. I'm not into just people praying. I like making disciples. It's my oxygen. You know my favorite moment? You know my favorite moment in this whole thing? When I see a face change. When I see a countenance change. That's what I live for. So I got a phone number and I'm like, I'm gonna get you hooked up with the church, okay? So she gives me my, her number, I go to my hotel, I text her. I'm like, how are you feeling? She says, ma, I got home and my neighbor came round because she was like, what's going on? Like she couldn't believe the way I was, how I like, I had no pain and stuff because she's been so severe in this whole thing. But the point I'm making is that I prayed for that after I prayed for her soul, can you see? Now, I noticed something here from you guys, which I'm gonna explain in a minute as well. When I just told you about that back getting healed, you applauded, but you didn't applaud when she gave her heart to Jesus. I was in, in my, near my town where I live in America. I've been living in the US for the past year. And I take out a team from a supernatural school and ministry. They come to visit and I take some guys out. We go door to door, go knocking on doors. Seven people come to know Jesus in 45 minutes. Now, for me, that's quite impressive. I'm quite happy with that, you know what I mean? That's a good day. So. I turn around to this kid, I'm training this kid, he's like 19 years of age. I turn around to him and said, man, what do you think of what, do you think of what you just saw? What, you, what you've just witnessed this past 45 minutes, what do you think of it? He looks at me and he's like, he says, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. It's cool, it's cool? Cool, okay, we're cool, you're cool, I'm cool. Okay, it's cool. So then what happens is this, the lady that, that he just referenced, it's cool, had been weeping at the doorstep. Like door opens, here's the card, here's the gospel, like weeping, sobbing her heart out at a door to door. You know the thing you can't do? The thing is reserved for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, that thing. A door to door. It's funny, kind of, the gospel can get in anywhere, you know? So we share, she's weeping, it's cool. Then her sister comes in the car, her sister has this like abscess on her leg. Uh, my guy goes and prays for the abscess on the leg. The abscess gets healed. We leave there, immediately got a regroup outside at the end of the road, regroup, debrief. You know what my friend's doing when they ask him what happened? He says his story about the healing. You know what he does? He's dancing like this. He's dancing because an abscess got healed, but he's not dancing because someone's name was just written in the Lamb's Book of Life, had all their sins washed away and became born again, a new creation. That is what I'm talking about. There's something wrong with this culture, okay? It's imbalanced and it's uneven. And we need somebody and we need something where we can just realize what we're doing and just to kind of take a little step outside and say, man, what, what are we playing at here? It's not enough to just pray for the sick. Do you know all you're doing is sowing? That's the thing. All we're doing is sowing. 96%. You keep praying for the sick, sowing, 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 sowing. It only becomes reaping when they come to Jesus and all the sins get washed away and they accept and that's when we start reaping. So maybe we don't have many reapers because maybe, and what I've found is this, as I travel around, as I speak at notable places, very, very well-known uh, seminal schools uh, and uh, uh, supernatural schools and colleges, as I find, uh, what I find is this, I find that a lot of the guys and girls, they just don't know how to do it. Nobody's teaching them, nobody's talking about it because we've got so excited with the, with the wow that we're not really talking about the woo. And I think we need to kind of get back to that place. Do you know what I mean? If I can read a scripture, I think we're gonna bring it up. It's Mark chapter two, verse five. I just wanna 
reference and just look at the scripture just, just briefly. Mark chapter two, 2, verse five, this is what happens. I'll just give you a quick backstory. There's a man who's very, very sick, like very sick. Now this man needs nothing but a healing. Now he, this guy's not got dandruff or, or you know, ingrown toenails. This guy's like in a bad state, yeah? He's like, he's so sick that his friends have to bring him in through a roof. Are you guys familiar with the story? Jesus is stood there. He's got all the, the, the room is full of people and Jesus is there. They bring him down through the roof. Now this man does not need anything but a healing. Like it's pretty obvious. They rip, his friends rip the roof apart to lower him down the roof because he is so severe. He, the guy can't even move. What happens? They lower him down the roof, right down the roof. Mark 2 verse 5. Do we not have it? Don't worry. Just find it in your own Bibles if you have one. Let's work for this. Come on. Let's get you guys working. You know what happens? This is what Jesus says. He said, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to heal your body because that's the most important thing to me right now. So I'm just going to pray for you. Back be healed right now in Jesus' name. No, he doesn't do that. Do you know what he does? He goes straight for the sin. He goes straight for the sickness of his soul because that's terminal. We can heal a body, but they're still gonna die and go to hell. So what we gotta do, we gotta go after the soul. It's eternal. So what Jesus did, now it's so obvious, man. This guy's sick, he can't move, he's so sick. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. And then what? Then after he prays for the healing. I think maybe we need to kind of look had a different perspective on this whole thing. I believe the gospel is so powerful that in two minutes, it can change your life. I've spent my past five years witnessing this on a daily basis. Everything I'm saying to you right now, by the way, is not, I haven't read it in a book or, or on a fridge magnet. Like everything I'm telling you has been tested by fire and everything I'm gonna tell you. Every single thing, I've lived it, I've seen it, I've experienced it. I have incurable faith. The Holy Spirit has blown my mind. The gospel has blown my mind. I didn't know it to be this way until I stepped into it. You know how it began? I prayed for a, a person to feel the, the, the Holy Spirit and I watched what the Lord did and it was just like blew my mind. Like just from his presence alone, just from trusting him in the gospel, person's life got changed. I'm like, where can you, how far does this rabbit hole go? John chapter four, verse 35. This would be our bedrock scripture and everything I'm saying. John 4, 35. You guys have that? Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, do you not say four months? There are still four months, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say, lift up your eyes, or a different version, open your eyes and see the fields are already white for harvest. What's Jesus saying? He's saying this. Do you not say four months? It takes four months from somebody to come from here, a place of where they hear, uh, where they, that you begin to that process with them, and to over here to the harvest fields. There's the sowing fields, there's the harvest fields. It takes four months. Is this how you guys think, yeah? This is what Jesus is saying. This kind of, your mental kind of way of thinking about it. And Jesus is saying, listen, forget that, man. Forget about the four months. You see, it doesn't have to take four months, four weeks, four days or four hours. But if you open your eyes, lift your head, uh, you can see that there is a harvest that is ready right now. Like right now, you don't have to wait four months. What is that? It's called being a reaper. If you can get, if you can shift the season sower's mentality and pick up a relentless reaper's mentality, it will change your life. I promise you. You see, that's what I began to do. I began to move in a, a reaping tool that the Holy Spirit gave us and I began to be a reaper. And that, what that meant is that I was equipped and prepared to lead people to Jesus 
in a moment. I was prepared and equipped to get to my point of destination immediately. But you know the worst thing that happened is that I sold. That was the worst thing. So I go after reaping, but if it doesn't happen, I sow. It's like you can't lose. But we're not equipped for many of us. So Jesus is saying, man, there is a harvest that is so bountiful and so ripe that all you gotta do is look. But, but Jesus, I'm already looking. I mean, you know, what do you mean? Were the disciples going around like, like with their eyes closed? Jesus said, open your eyes. Were they closing their eyes? No, what they were doing was looking through the wrong lens. You see, when you look at a person, what you do is you make an assumption, a judgment on the way they look, dress, act, the company they keep, the bank balance, the car they drive. You do all that through your earthly lens. But if you will look through heaven's lens, you'll see a different perspective. You see, when you look through heaven's lens and through heaven's eyes, you see that everybody is an apple that could fall today. Everybody. Like Clay referenced, the same thing that the Lord spoke to me. We are the apple of his eye. Everybody's an apple on a tree, and when you share, he'll shake. Some apples fall, some move a little, and some don't move at all. All you gotta do is share and let him shake. So I began to experience this, and I'm gonna just share a couple of stories in closing uh, of how the, the uh, an, on, enormity of this power that is at our disposal. Let me just say this first. The gospel for me is like a sledgehammer. Now, if I said to you, walk outside this building, the first person you speak to, go and share the gospel with them leading to Jesus. Now, can we be honest? Because we're in church, we can't lie. Who would be quite nervous about that? What I've just asked you to do, be honest. Go outside, first person you see, lead them to Jesus. I'll give it your best shot. Okay, so there's quite a lot of hands went up there, yeah? So what does that mean? It means we need to get better at doing this stuff. So how do we do it? I believe the gospel is a sledgehammer. When you take a sledgehammer and apply it to a surface, something's gonna crack. That's what's gonna happen. The gospel is, the, is a sledgehammer. But for many of us, we'll hold it like a feather. And instead of trying to smash the bricks and the walls that have been built up around people's hearts, we're tickling their ears. Because we don't know how it works. We don't know how powerful it is. Let me tell you this, man. Every day, I see somebody and I'm like, this gospel can change your life. I know, I just look at them and I'm like, yeah, you, let's go. Right now, it can change your life in two minutes. I've seen it like, so many times, so many stories. I'm not talking about, yeah, a guy prayed, he felt good. I'm talking about disciples, people growing, faces changing. Why? Because it is that powerful. But if you don't hold it with the reverence it deserves, then you'd just be tickling. You'll never really know what it can do. So I was in a store in, in the States, and I like sharing American stories. I'm gonna tell you why, because I spent three years in Ireland. I had a lot of Irish stories, a lot of people getting saved, a lot of people getting discipled. We saw over 300 people that I led to Jesus on the street come to my home group, come to my church. We saw God do incredible, we had a church within a church. We've seen incredible things. But people say things like, well, yeah, okay, that was Ireland, that was a move of God, that was a time. I don't believe it. People said things like, uh, it's because the church had plowed for 15 years. I don't believe it. I believe this, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and when you step outside with a sledgehammer and you apply it, something's gonna crack. I don't care where you live, I don't care what color the people are, what culture they have, it's the same sledgehammer, it's the same power wherever you go. The problem is this, people don't apply the sledgehammer. That's the problem. I used to train people up in Northern Ireland. They come, church leaders from all over the world. I take them on the streets, I show them how it works. They're like, man, it's incredible, but it won't work where I come from. Why? I'm gonna tell you why. Because they wouldn't take it outside of their own community and they wouldn't strike. 
That's why. So I'm in, I'm in America and I go shopping one day. We have a store called Walmart out there and I go into Walmart. It's the only one in my community where I live. I'm walking through the aisle Saturday evening. I turn and I see this guy, big dude, tattoos. I see him standing. And I'm like, I want to speak to him. So I walk over to him. I'm like, hey man, you ever see this picture before? Do you ever pray? And I walk him through this tool that we're going to teach you guys tomorrow. It takes about two minutes, introduction to salvation. I go through the three points. Now, without the Holy Spirit, it's just a few words. But each one of those points were given to me by the Holy Spirit in the moment when I stood on the street with non-believers. That's how it was born. I wasn't born in my prayer closet. I wasn't on a 21-day Daniel fast at the time. I was in the streets, vulnerable, saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but if you come with me, I'll do it. And I stepped out and the Holy Spirit said, say this, say this, say this. And as I said it, the atmosphere changed. And I'm like, if I was chocolate, I'd eat myself right now. Do you know what I mean? And then obviously I realized, sorry, it wasn't me. It's the Lord, you know what I mean? But I got caught up in the moment. I'm like, man, this is incredible. Look, I'm just like, ooh, I'm just pumping out this stuff. Because as I said it, the atmosphere was changing. I wrote it on my phone, nine points became Jesus at the door, all birthed in the harvest fields. So I walk up to this guy. I'm like, man, can I just ask you a question? You ever see that picture? Do you pray? And I have it on my phone, so it doesn't, I don't have to pull out a card. He looks at me, he says, uh, I haven't seen that picture, man, I don't really pray, maybe sometimes. I go, I take him through the first couple of steps. His wife comes from a different aisle. She walks down the aisle, she's like, uh, what's going on? I'm like, let me, share, let me explain it to you. I do the same thing. They both get about halfway down. And they said, no, we're good. Look, we're, we've got our own thing with God. We're, we're good, we're cool. So I said to the guy, look, can I get you on Facebook, man? And I'd like to, you know, just send you some more, some messages and some kind of links to watch. Because I'm thinking this, the Holy Spirit told me, you share, Scott, and I'll shake. Well, he can shake cyberly through Facebook. So I'm like, and I've seen it. So I'm like, if I share, even via Facebook, he'll shake via Facebook, and we can still get some apples falling, even if they're not ready right now. So I get him on Facebook, I message him, I hear nothing back. Two weeks goes by. I'm praying one day in my, my house and I say, Lord, show me that you're orchestrating this like beautiful tapestry, like you're, you know, you're like the, the orchestra, uh, orchestrator of this wonderful symphony. Show me that you're behind the scenes and I'm not out there alone, but that you're showing me that you're involved just weaving this whole tapestry together. Just show me. I get an email to my, an email comes to my church that afternoon from a lady. She says this, we need to speak to a man. It's urgent. All we know is his last name was McNamara comes to just cold email to my church. So the, my pastor sends it to me. He says, do you remember the person? I'm like, no. You say, I only remember those that are led to the Lord. I speak to a lot of people. I'm like, I don't remember them, no. So I messaged them. This was Friday afternoon. By Sunday morning, she's on the front row with her son at church because I told her, come to church if you want to speak to me. So she comes to church. She, she tells me this story. She said, look, this is what happened. Basically, after we left you, we went home like a week or so after, went home and we got drunk. Now they both have good jobs, her and her husband. He like uh, drills holes. She's high up in, in some kind of management firm. Got really good jobs. They got like good money, nice cars, nice house, the whole thing. This is what happens. He works away in California. Every weekend he comes back from Friday evening to Sunday and all they do is just drink. Just kind of like party at home together. So this one particular weekend, uh, he, got, he basically gets drunk and he hits her. He's never done this before. Hits his wife. They've only been married two years. So she freaks out, calls the cops. And this is, long story short, this is what happens. You've got a SWAT team outside his house because the guy's going crazy. He pulls out a gun. So he's there with a gun, there with a revolver. And he's like so drunk and he's like, man, I don't even care anymore. So he's lying on his bed and he's like practicing as the SWAT team come in, how he's going to shoot them. And then he's just willing to lose his own life. 
But that's how far this thing had gone. So he's on the bed, and then he told, this is his take on it, what he told me. He's on the bed, like just practicing uh, shooting them, and he hears a voice. The voice is this, put the gun down. Put the gun down. Now the, the SWAT team had been calling him saying, you need, to leave, you need to walk out of here with your hands held in the air. Right now we're coming in. He'd been having this like conversation with the people on the phone, but he didn't, he didn't do it. He was just waiting for them to come. And then he hears a voice, put the gun down. You know what he did? He put the gun down. He walks out of there and they tackle him to the ground. He goes to jail, gets out of jail. His wife sits him down and says this, if you don't speak to somebody, this marriage is over. His nickname was the robot. Because you see, he was this big guy, been shot, stabbed. He's like big guy, but he like he was such a kind of like robot because he never showed his emotions. He just buried them, you know. He, ne- he, d- he wasn't close to anybody. So she said, "If you don't speak to anybody, marriage is over." You know what he did? He looked her in the eye, said, "This. There's only one person I'm going to speak to." She says, "Who is it?" Scott. She's like, "Who's Scott?" The guy from Walmart. She's like, "What are you? The, g- the guy with the picture?" She's like, yeah, he's the only one I'm going to speak to. So here we are. I'm going to fast forward eight and a half months. This couple are eight and a half months sober. They, for the past four months, they've been hosting our new believers group in their home every single Thursday evening. You want to see a picture of them? I'm going to show you a picture of these guys. This is their mug shots. This is our new believers group. There's a shot of a couple. If you show this, this is them there before and after. So this was just after I met him. He went to jail. This is him about a month ago. She also was arrested for drink driving and went to jail temporarily. This is her now. The two of them came on a mission I did in Los Angeles. Together as a couple, led 10 people to Jesus on the streets of Los Angeles. Come on. Amen. Praise God. Now we began to pray because Jake works away. The name is Jake and Jenna. He works away all like all week. He comes on Friday to Sunday. He said, I want to be, I want to come home, man. I want a job where I can be part of the community. I want to be part of the new believers group. So we prayed. Within one week, he gets a phone call. This is what the person says. I want to offer you a job and the job is the same as what you're doing, but I'm going to pay you more. I'm going to give you one day off a week and it's in your hometown. Within one week of our new believers group praying. So he gets the job. He has every single Friday afternoon off. You know what that means? That means Friday is evangelism day. So I'm training him to be an evangelist. Every Friday I take him out. We spend the whole day together where I just pour into this gentleman and he's becoming just this like lethal weapon for the kingdom of God. It's incredible. Isn't that a great story? It's absolutely amazing. What we are seeing is the same things we saw in Ireland. Same stuff. You can bring that picture back up, the New Believers group. So just, this is our New Believers group. These are people we meet as we go about our business. Jake and Jen in the middle, there's a whole bunch of guys. Last night, my wife and, and my team ran our New Believers group. We have it every Thursday evening. Last, last night, we had six brand new people for the first time. Two of those people gave their hearts to Jesus in, our, in, our living room, in the living room right there and then. Do you know, we've baptized a whole bunch of people in Jake and Jen's bathtub over the past month whole bunch of people. Do you know what he did? He's a boss of a company, drilling company. Out of the four young men that work for him, he led four of them to Jesus. When he got his new job, one of them, 21-year-old lad, he said, I want to come with you. So Jake brought him. So now Tyler lives in our community, part of our church community. We baptized him in the bathtub in Jake's home. Do you know what was next door to the bathtub? 
the bedroom where he was practicing how he was going to shoot the SWAT team when they come into his room. That's the power of God. What we are seeing in people's lives is nothing short of the miraculous. But it's not the miraculous that sometimes you're looking for. It's even deeper. It's even deeper than a body being made whole, which, praise God, is amazing. And let's keep going after that. But let's not be short-sighted. Let's not forget their soul. Let's not forget what God can do through their lives, through their faces, through their stories. This is redemption. God told us to make disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples. Let's make disciples. Let's not just have an encounter where they get wowed, but let's let them be wooed by this great God who loved them so much he hung on a tree. There was a young lady who came to our new believers group who came to know Jesus. Her name's Brittany. And this is just all this stuff I'm telling you is like recent. And just like a month ago, she came to our, our group. She came to know Jesus. And she said, man, I just want to tell everybody about Jesus. So she said, I've got a 26-year-old friend who's dying. She's a heroin addict. She's 26. Uh, she's been told that she has weeks left to live. She's on hospice care. 26-year-old girl. She damaged a valve in her heart through intravenously injecting. She said, would you come and pray for her? Would you come and like pray for her? We're not allowed to pray for healing though because her mom doesn't want her to get like her hopes up. So you can't pray for healing. I'm thinking, yes, we can. <laughs> but she's like, will you come? Now for me, okay, the way my mind thinks as a reaper, I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? What I'm gonna do is this. I'm gonna get that girl saved so that before she takes her steps over the line of hell, we're gonna turn around. Repentance, change direction. We're gonna turn around off the wide road that's about to take it to destruction and we're gonna lead it to the narrow path that leads to life. That's my, uh, that's my MO. That's, that's the thing that I really wanna happen, yeah? First off, that's what I'm going after. Second, I don't want her to die. I want resurrection power in this girl. So that's what I'm going after too. It's just my order is the way I do it. So we go into the house, me and my wife, and it's kind of like the house is a bit rough. We don't know what to expect. We expect to see a girl on a, on a deathbed, like fighting for a breath. That's what we expect. We walk in the house. It's a bit weird. There's people hanging around. There's like a car pulls up, some guy. There's like two women up, up, coming up and downstairs. It's kind of like weird stuff going on. So we sit there for 10 minutes. And my friend Brittany, she's kind of anxious because she's like waiting for us to, uh, the, the opportunity for us to do our thing. But all that's, all that's happening is this, the girl, Ali, who's dying is doing this. She's just like this. Just uh, uh, talking to herself like this, constantly. She's got like so, such bad anxiety. She just can't, she can't even function. She's on medications, all kind of stuff, you know? So she's just doing this constantly. We're like, this doesn't look like a girl who's dying. So... We, we, we kind of sit there for 10 minutes and then I'm like, right, we need to take charge of this situation because it's getting out of control. Weird things going on. I'm, I'm like, okay, this is what's gonna happen. Let me just share something with you. And I stand up and the Holy Spirit's presence falls and I begin to share the gospel. I use props, I do whatever it takes to, to stop her pacing, just to try and capture her attention. She stops, she gets a bit slower. She's watching me. She gets slower and then she sits down. Her and her mom sit down and Brittany and my wife and I share the gospel. As I share the gospel, something changes in the room. The atmosphere shifts and the presence of God is in that room. I share the gospel, I say, who wants Jesus? So we gather around and as we're about to pray, a lady from, down, from upstairs comes down. She just looks like this down at the floor and she latches onto our prayer. She says, I could feel the love from upstairs. <clears throat> they all accept Jesus right there in that moment. You know what I did? I thought now it's time for some resurrection power. So what I did, I knew I couldn't pray because I was under strict orders, you can't pray for healing. But all I gotta do is be creative and poetic with my words because they're unchurched people. 
So they don't know the Bible, do they? So I'm just gonna throw a few like, you know what I mean? So I'm like, so I'm just kind of looking around, make sure the mom's not looking. And I'm like, yeah, so uh, resurrection life right now. Resurrection power in the name of Jesus. Resurrection power. As I pray resurrection power, she does this and jolts like this. I'm gonna fast forward one month. Last, not Thursday, yesterday, the week before, in that picture, you can see Ali. And I'm gonna tell you something that happened to Ali. She ain't anxious no more. She's got the pink, the jumper with the pink on. I know it's not a great quality photo. She's not anxious anymore. She's not getting sick anymore. So much so that her mom has turned around to her and, and to Brittany and said, I'm freaked out. Like, I, I am like freaked out. They've just taken her off hospice care. You see, she can't get tested for her heart on hospice care. It's got so extreme. She's so healthy. She's so strong that her mom has signed off and said, okay, man, this is freaking me out. Get her tested. So now we're about to get her tested for her heart. And then she came to my group and she said, Scott, I just feel amazing. She's like, I'm writing love letters to Jesus every night. We're just like blown away at what God is doing. Resurrection life. I wanna tell you this. There is a world out there, run, people running around your city. And you know what they want? They want resurrection life. But they want it in their soul. You see, you don't have to look like you're in prison on the outside to be in prison on the inside. Jesus said, when, before we know him, we're in the kingdom of darkness and he takes us from the kingdom of darkness and he brings us into his glorious light. What does that mean? That means no matter who you are, how successful you are, how good a job you have or, or how many kids you have, that means that you're in darkness until you're brought into the light. So we've got a whole lot of people running around in darkness. I don't think it's good enough at best if we just pray for them. I don't think it's good enough at best if we just pray for a bad knee or a bad shoulder. Now, if we're gonna do that, let's do it, but make sure you finish with the gospel. Make sure you give them a chance to accept Jesus. I don't want anyone to go through life without knowing Jesus the way I know him. When, I, when he found me, I was in the gut. I was a cocaine addict and alcoholic staring the gates of hell in the face. That's where he found me. I don't want people to go through life without knowing Jesus. You see, you maybe say, oh man, you're a bit extreme, you know, with the wide road thing. But man, I, I saw it. I had a drug overdose. I was 24 years of age and I saw the gates of hell. I saw it and I was on my way there. I wasn't that bad. I'm just doing what everybody else was doing where I come from. But let me tell you this, I was on the wrong road. And you can be on the wrong road believing in the right God. But one day you'll stand before him and he'll say, I gave everything, everything for you. Do you think he can turn up with a leg that's better and say, hey God, and this guy prayed for me in a super cool California shopping mall. Man, let me in. Come on. They're saying, look, the problem is this. I sent my son because I loved you so much that I gave him to you. I gave him to hang on a cross to pay for your sin because sin is what separates us. But I've, my son's already paid for it. But you wouldn't accept what he's already done. Well, I didn't know. I mean, nobody told me. You, you know, I mean, I, I kind of took the prayer and, and, and all is good and I felt, felt it and stuff but you never accepted. Let me tell you this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Come on, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I do have one more cool, really cool story, but maybe I don't have time, do I? Are we do I have time? Would you like to hear one more story? Who likes stories? Come on, I like stories. They fire me up. When I tell you these stories, I feel the 
presence of the Holy Spirit so strong. I'm like tingling all over as I share these stories to you because it's real. And I believe every single one of you looking at me right now, you could have stories just like these. This is not reserved for some special 4% people. This is for everybody. And I'm so passionate about this that I wanna move you from here to here because I know you can do it. I know it's the same God at work in me that's at work in you, but you've just gotta be willing to partner with him. I'm in, in Paris and last year I'm flying from Paris back to Ireland. I train a whole bunch of churches and I'm like super tired. And I'm sitting in the airport in Charles de Gaulle Airport and I put my hood up and my earphones on and I've got this like invisible sign that says off duty. Evangelist off duty, you know what I mean? That's kind of like where I'm at, yeah? Now, I think the reason that it happened is because I've heard that, you know, men and women, we have like a quota of words we can use each day. And I think like women's are like double the, what, what men's are. And, and I found this from working in the streets of Ireland because I'd come home and all I did all day was talk and I'd come home and my wife's like, hey darling, how was your day? Yeah. Oh. Well, what happened? What, did, did people come to Jesus? Yeah, it was good. I mean, what, yeah, tell me some stories. Yeah, I'll tell you later. Because I'd used up my quota of words. And I'm like that in, in the airport in Paris. I'm like, I have no more words to give you. I'm done. So I put my hood up, headphones. I'm like, just get me on that airplane, man. I'm just dreaming about the sleep and that. So I'm there. And then as, I'm, as I'm sitting on the chair, I look up and they call my gate. So I get called to the gate. So I stand in the line. As I stand in the line, I get a tap on my shoulder. The lady behind me. And she says, excuse me. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Now I'm like, headphones off. How you doing? She's like, I just saw your, your, your jacket there. Jesus at the door thing. She's like, that's cool. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> I back up. This is a true story. Now, this story really like impacted me huge and I'm being honest and vulnerable with you right now because I'm just human, I'm not perfect. So I was in this zone and I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody right now. And what happened? The Holy Spirit starts nudging me. Now, I know you're all too holy and you've never done this like I did it, but I got nudged and I ignored the nudge. Nobody's ever done that here, no? Nobody? No. So I ignored the nudge because I'm thinking, well, I tried to convince myself it wasn't God anyway. It's probably just me. I, I mean, I'm overthinking it. I've been doing this all week. I'm probably just like, you know, my mind's just going, it's probably not even the Holy Spirit. He probably doesn't even want me to speak to her. Does he really even want her to go to heaven? I mean, you know, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to like convince myself that it's not the Lord because then I'd feel really guilty. So what I know I'll do, I know what I'll do. I'll press it down a bit. Have you ever pressed it down? You kind of like, to just, just get it down. Or what you do is this, get me out of the situation quick and then I won't have to think about it. Has anyone ever been in that one? So you, the Lord's like, just do this and you're like, you're deliberating and then you're like, if I can get out of here, I won't have to do it. So I'm ashamed to say it as an evangelist, but this is how I was, I was so tired. So I stood there, the Lord's nudging me, speak to her. I'm like, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And I'm like, hurry up, just get me on this plane and I won't have to do it. This is what I'm thinking. So then they say, okay, there's a little problem here. Uh, we're gonna have to spend 15 minutes uh, stood in this line while we fix this temporary issue. Sorry for the confusion. Now, 15 minutes for me in that moment was like 15 hours. It was like, you know, each minute was like, you know, bleeding, just taking forever. So I'm like, what do I do, what do I do? So I'm just kind of just ignoring it, ignoring it. Anyway, long story short, the, they call us on the plane and I put down my... Uh, uh, my suitcase, and everybody goes past me. I pull out my neck pillow. You guys know what neck pillows are? Yeah. I have a big, I'm gonna be writing to the man who created neck pillows, because I do a lot of flying. And I've spent like, probably bought four of these things, $30 a pop. You know what? Every time I wake up, I wake up like this. <laughs> what good's a neck pillow if I'm like this? It's a waste of money. So 
I'm thinking about being on the plane, neck pillow, comfortable, and then, so as I get on the plane, I'm one of the last people on the plane. I walk on the plane, I'm just headphones, hood up, just looking for my seat. Look down, I see the, the cut. Oh, there's, the, there's those guys. Can't avoid them. And then I get right to where I'm meant to be. Who's there? The couple. It's a mother and daughter. There's a mother and daughter, and there's my seat. Would you believe it? So do you know what I did? I went straight over to them and said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I took my headphones and my hood off. I apologize. I said, I'm sorry. I should have spoken to you. But I, I'm not that stupid. I know by now, you know, that, that this was the Lord. I can't, I don't want to pass this one off. So look, I'm really, I apologize. I, I'm just tired. And the Lord told me to speak to you. And now he sat me next to you. This is crazy. Like, like there's, a, there's something going on here. He wants you to know what, I, what I'm about to give you. So I shared the gospel with her. There was tears. It was amazing. Uh, her and the daughter, she didn't give her heart to Jesus, um, uh, the, the mother or the daughter, but there was something happened. Her son had committed suicide and she was, she was um, visiting family. She's from Ireland, but she moved to America as a youngster, married an American man and came back because her son had committed suicide. She said it was accidentally, but um, accidental, but her son had committed suicide. So the last thing she said to me is that she said, Scott, can I have this card? Can I have it? I said, of course. So I give her the card and we hug and I leave. Six months later, I get an email to our website. That's what it says. Hi, Scott, I believe it was you. My daughter and I sat beside late June on a flight from Paris to Belfast. My previous son, Alexander, had died suddenly and accidentally in September 2017 while my husband and I were traveling on vacation. Our hearts have been shattered and our very close family unit has been forever traumatized by the loss of our fun-loving, hard-working, sweet and sensitive Alexander. We are still in shock and disbelief, although trying to keep in hope and trust in God as we walk through each day, seeking him for strength and courage and acceptance. We had spent four weeks traveling and visiting family and friends, and the entire time, not one person prayed with us or acknowledged our loss to the extent that it provided any one of us comfort. It was heartbreaking and disappointing until we met you. We shared our story, and you inspired us with your testimony and your love of Jesus and the gospel and witness to the transformative impact it has had on so many lives. You prayed with us, and from that encounter, we have been so encouraged to just trust and to seek an intimate relationship with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. On my son Alexander's headstone, we had a picture of Jesus at the door engraved. I have opened the door to Jesus. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I thank God for the lives you've reached and the hearts you've opened. God bless you and your ministry with my deepest gratitude. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, carve your name on hearts and not on marble. I think it's time that we start carving on people's hearts.